Good morning, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Sound good? Um, before I jump in, I just want to affirm what my wife said about um, the two of you and about this community. Um, we've been here a few days um, and have really felt loved um, by Grant and Michelle, who are an extension of you. Um, and so I want you to know right out the bat that you are loved. You really are. The way that they talk about you, and um, it, it's incredible. It's such an amazing thing to witness. Um, you are under amazing leadership. I've gotten to know uh, some of the elders here just briefly, but, but just incredible what God is doing here. And so I want to encourage you with that to stay, uh, stay the course, continue to trust Jesus for what he has called you to do here. Um, and we can only expect uh, amazing things that will come out of this church. Um, as I look at the clock, um, you know the saying that a clock to a black preacher is like kryptonite to Superman. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump straight in. I want to I wanna be as quick as possible. Um, but at the same time, I, I want to be careful as I handle God's word. I want to honor him and glorify him, um, but I want to ensure that you are equipped and have a bigger view of who he is. Uh, we are in week four of a nine-week sermon series that's titled How We Change. Now, I've gotten the opportunity to listen to the messages that have been preached, and it's just been encouraging uh, to hear how uh, the folks that have come up here have ensured that they want to stay faithful to God's word, but at the same time recognizing where we are and that we are a broken people in desperate need of a Savior, and it's that Savior who changes us. And so this morning, uh, we'll continue in that sermon series, and I've titled this message, Spiritual Transformation. Spiritual Transformation. How we change. But before we do that, uh, permit me to pray. Let me pray for you. I ask that you pray for me. Uh, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so would you bow your heads with me. Father, we are incredibly thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you continue to transform the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, would you do that very work, a work that only you can do. Help us to see you for who you are. Lord, I pray against the evil one and his desires to speak words of doubt into our ears. I ask that you would come and give life to the full, that we would experience this abundant life that comes from you. Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Tune our ears to you so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Turn our hearts to you, Lord, so that we might be transformed. You are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I am a believer of the fact that the gospel changes everything. I am living proof of that. I am sure that this truth could be testified by many of you in here, that the gospel truly changes everything. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
This gospel, what we call the good news, changes everything. It changes our identity. And this change is called salvation. Salvation. Now, salvation, if I was to define it, I would say this. It is the deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Simply put, salvation is when we turn from whatever it is that we are pursuing, hoping to find life and meaning in, and turn to Christ, our true source of life and meaning. And this repentance and faith happens immediately. It secures eternity instantly for us. It declares once and for all that you belong to God. Your eternal position is one that is holy and blameless. That that is your eternal position and it happens instantly. You are made perfect. And so if that is the case, why then? Why then is it that some days I don't feel like that or live like that? I don't feel this perfection, this holiness that salvation secures for me. Well, that's because we, though our positional standing is in heaven, our current reality is here on earth. That is where we find ourselves, here on earth. And this earth is broken. It's tormented by sin and the devil, and it is in desperate need of a savior. We are tempted from every angle. And too often, we find ourselves yielding to the lies of the deceitful one. There is this internal conflict that exists within us. It's what Paul refers to in the book of Romans chapter 7 where he says, I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do and the things that I ought to do, I don't do. That even though you've crossed the line of faith, even though you have now surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, this side of heaven, we find ourselves wrestling. Wrestling. And on some days, and it should be most days, you want to be obedient to God, but you find yourself being disobedient. And here's why, friends. It's because sin is good. Now, I know some of you are probably looking at me and then wondering, Grant, who on earth did you get from Pretoria to come and tell us that sin is good? Let me explain. What I mean by that is that it is good because it is tempting. It it wouldn't be, if it wasn't tempting, then it wouldn't be good. But its goodness is temporary. It's momentary. In fact, its goodness is, is only to lure us to our inevitable doom and destruction. It's like a piece of cheese in a mousetrap. We sniff it. We look at it. We desire it, and so we pursue it, not seeing the mousetrap that is going to snap on our heads. That is what sin is like. It is good and tempting, but it's momentary, it's temporary, and it leaves us wondering, why on earth did I do that? See, the thing about sin 
is that it'll always take you further than you wanted to go. It'll make you stay longer than you wanted to stay. And it'll make you pay more than you can afford. Every single time. And so there is this internal conflict. This side of heaven, we are not perfect. Yet, we are being made holy. We are being made blameless. We are being made perfect by the perfect one. And this, friends, this is what we call sanctification, which simply means we have been set apart, chosen with intention, elected for a purpose. And so in our heavenly position, we are declared holy, while in our current earthly reality, we are being made holy. We are being set apart. We are being sanctified. And so Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Then he writes, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, who declared you holy at the point of salvation, at the point of conversion, you were justified, so you are holy, will carry it on, and this is sanctification, that you are now being made holy. He'll carry it on. It's a journey to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That there is an end point to this. That you will be eternally displayed as holy. This is what we call glorification. And so we are saved at conversion, and then we are justified. We are declared holy, just as if you had never sinned. But then as you walk on this earth, there's this journey where you are being made holy, being made perfect. And that one day you will stand before our Lord and Savior, glorified. You have finished his work. And so the process of sanctification, being set apart, being made holy, can also be communicated as being transformed. How we change. Being transformed. This is what we call spiritual transformation. This is the transforming work of the gospel. If you are to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, if if you are to be God's ambassadors in this world, if you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this city and beyond, if you want to see the world awakened to the wonder of God, then we must see the transforming work of the gospel in our lives. There is no other way. There is no other way. And friends, this is what makes us different to society and culture. You see, out there, they rely on legislation and the constitution and the law. Now hear me, as a corporate lawyer, I agree with all of that and I dig it. I love it. In fact, I believe South Africa has one of the best constitutions in the world. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. But in here, we all know that the law cannot transform the hearts of men. That we need a supernatural work. And so if we want to see the the world impacted by the gospel through the church, 
we must see this transforming work in our daily lives, our daily rhythms. And so our text for this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's deeply encouraging that Paul starts verse 18 by saying, we. I love that. We. Paul, who I think is a super Christian, even though, you know, those don't exist. I see Paul as an absolute legend. A man who planted church after church after church. Much of the New Testament is written by Paul. And yet he stands in solidarity with the messed up Corinthian church. And friends, this church was messed up. You think you've heard of scandals? Go read Corinthians. And yet Paul says, we. We. We are being transformed. But to make the point clear that it's a we situation and not just a you situation, Paul says we all, all. And so those who come up here week after week and unpack the scriptures, they are included in that all. Those that you look up to and are like, man, what an incredible human being. What an amazing woman included in the all. We all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This tells us that we should make no exceptions where God does not make any exceptions. That we shouldn't try to play God even in our hearts. And I can find myself doing this where I'll look to people and I'll be like, you know what, you are in desperate need of a savior. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not too bad, but I've seen your marriage. It needs Jesus. Failing to recognize that I too need Jesus. The weakest and the newest Christian here today is experiencing ever-increasing transformation. Ever-increasing transformation. See, under the Mosaic Covenant, which was the covenant, the promise, the agreement made between God and Moses, just one man was outwardly transformed. And we'll see that in a moment. But under the new covenant, because of the gospel, this blessing is for all of us. See, but this transformation must begin with rebirth. There is no back door to this. There is no, I know someone who can get me the hookup. It requires rebirth birth. What Paul refers to having an unveiled face. He says in verse 18, we all with unveiled face. See, at first glance, this talk of veiled faces can be a little confusing. What what is Paul onto here? So let's see if scripture can interpret scripture. And I love that it can right? That scripture always interprets scripture. So often we find ourselves reading the scriptures and going, I have no idea what this means. Let me quickly go to Google and find someone who died many years ago and hear what they have to say. I'm not saying that those folks are bad. 
just recognize that the faithful ones, they found the answers here in Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. So let's see what it says regarding this unveiled face. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 17 says this. This is our text, but just giving a little bit more breath to it. It says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? A little bit of context here, real quick. He's saying, listen, what was written on stone, which was the law, was not given to us to save us. The law was not given to us to save us. It was given to us to show us that we're in desperate need of a Savior. It was given to us to show us how far short we fall. And so this is why he refers to it as the ministry of death. When you read the law, you're like, oh my goodness. This is how bad I am. This is how sinful I am. Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. He's teasing in the gospel. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but in their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, that's rebirth, repentance and faith, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Makes a little more sense, but let's look at this actual event the veiling of faces with Moses found in Exodus that Paul is referring to. So Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 to 35, speaks of when Moses went up to the Mount of Sinai and received the covenant. He stayed up there for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. When he returned from God, his face was shining visibly that everyone, including Aaron and the rulers of the congregation, were afraid to come near to him. God's glory was somehow transferred visibly to Moses' face temporarily. And he would cover his face from the people with a veil until he went back before God. Whenever he returned with a face which shined forth God's glory, he would cover it with a veil. Little side note. We continue to study the scriptures. We will see that the people could not look at Moses' face, the, the glory of the Lord that was on his face. They couldn't look upon it because of the sin in their own lives. Because sin and God cannot be in the same place at the same time. The glory of the Lord will utterly destroy sin. 
And so they struggle to look upon his face because of the sin, the hardness of their hearts. And so they covered it. But that one's for free, just to give you some extra nuggets there. Back to the text. You see, Paul is using the veil here as a symbol to teach us something. The, the veil, the, the mask which Moses wore, is a symbol of the old covenant. And that is the law, the Ten Commandments. And with them comes this call for us to live a perfect life. That as we read them, we recognize that the call is perfection. That's the standard. Not wherever we put it. And we're guilty of this. We recognize that the standard is perfection and we go, wow, that is way too hard to live up to. And so let me bring it down a few notches where I can live and then make that the standard for everyone. The standard is perfection and the law is clear on that. Also, it is a symbol of our natural, typical response to the law. This is the veil, which is, try, which is to try to obey it with our own strength either to the point of convincing ourselves that we have achieved it when we haven't, or to the point of giving up and rebelling against it. And this is something that all of us struggle with. We try on our own as hard as we can. I can do this. I can change. I can do better. And you get to that point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. I keep failing. I keep finding myself at the same place. I, I, I do this in my head. I'm a picture person. I love to tell stories. And so often I, I think that the angels are looking over the balcony of heaven and are talking to one another. And they're like, look, look, there he goes again. There's Oni. Look. Remember, he said he'll never do it again. Watch. Watch him. Because often I'm trying to do this on my own, out of my own strength. But here's something I want us to think about. See, what Moses experienced on the mountain is different to what we experience today. Oh, but the gospel is so good. What Moses experienced on the mountain is different to what we experience today. And this is because of Jesus. And it's different in two ways. It's different in location and it's different in duration. Different in location and duration. See, location. On the mountain, under the old covenant, only Moses' face was glowing with the glory of the Lord. Only his face. But for us today, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, the glow is a whole body affair. Our whole body. Not just our face, but our whole body glows with the glory of the Lord. So it's different in location, but it's different in duration. The glory of the Lord on Moses' face faded. The Old Testament is clear on this. It faded. And he would have to keep going back up to the mountain. Whereas for us, we're told in Corinthians, through Paul's words, that it is an ever-increasing glory. Ever-increasing glory from one degree of glory to another. And so let's go back to this transformation. Paul says, because of the unveiled face, something incredible happens. The transformation is the result of an unveiled face, a rebirth, a repentance, and turning to Jesus. And because of this transformation, 
we can lean into the perfect life of Jesus, who did keep all the commandments. Remember, we, we can't. But because we can turn to Jesus, we can lean into the one who did keep all the commandments, who did live the perfect life that was required by us. Jesus' perfect death and resurrection gives us a new life. As the old saints would say, we have died with Jesus and we are raised with Jesus to new life. But now, we must live for Jesus. It's not, it's not come to Jesus, I've got my ticket to heaven and now I'm just going to chill. Now I'm just going to wait it out. No, we must live for Jesus. And this is the process of sanctification. That is why it is given to us. So that we might live for him. So that we might do what he has called us to do. To love one another, to make disciples, to plant churches, to engage in the city. And this happens as we are being made more and more like Jesus from one degree to another. Looking to his perfect life, the one that he lived here on earth, the same broken, sin-tempting one. Jesus was tempted just like us. Just like us. And did not give in to sin. And so when we're wrestling, that is who we lean into. Not into our own abilities and strengths, but into His. See, sanctification, sanctification is, is, is like a slow cooker. And I know that that must be frustrating for our generation. Because I want it quick and I want it now. But sanctification is like a slow cooker. You, you put all the ingredients in, turn it up, and just leave it. And what comes out, oh, friends, what comes out is so incredible. If it's a lamb, it's off-the-bone lamb. It's not, just, it's not just lamb, it's off-the-bone lamb. The sauce is so thick and juicy and beautiful. And that's what sanctification does. But you see, our struggle, because we are the now generation, quick generation, we want a microwavable faith. And the gospel does not give us that. You, you read anyone in the scripture, any man or woman of faith that you admire, you will see it was a long walk of obedience in the same direction. Chapter after chapter after chapter, we're told of their imperfections and their failures. But what do they do? They continue to lean into God, press into the gospel, trust the Holy Spirit. And I say this because I know so many of us, we, we become very impatient with our transforming work. Oh man, this is so frustrating. Why? Why? I was told on a Sunday, Grant said, Come to Jesus and your life will change. And I came and like, man, I'm still doing the same dumb stuff. We have to be patient. We have to think of our transforming work like a slow cooker and not a microwave. And we do this so that we might live for Jesus in this world. But 
But how, Ane, how, how, how do we live for Jesus with this internal conflict and this sin that's always knocking at our doors? How? I'm glad you asked. Paul tells us, by beholding the glory of the Lord. How do we do this? How do we do this when, when media is telling us, hey guys, there's no hope for this country, you guys need to get out? How do we do this when we recognize that, that the poor continue to suffer? How do we do this when I have to show up on Monday at work and recognize that, man, this place is so broken, my manager hates me, my, my team doesn't want me to be here, there's this constant frustration. How? how? How do I live for Jesus? I also just want to go, you know what, I'm done with this, I'm out. Beholding the glory of the Lord. The Christian Standard Bible says it this way, a different translation. It says, we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. The NIV says it this way, and I love this one. We all contemplate the Lord's glory. Big English word. Contemplate. Paul is making the point that spiritual transformation happens as we continually contemplate, consider profoundly, think deeply, observe intensely, behold a manifestation of the glory of the Lord. Simply put, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How? How how do I become more patient? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. How do I learn how to give generously when I feel like I already don't have enough? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. How do I make sure that I don't keep running to those images, believing that they will give me everything that I need? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. A lot of people say, Oh, wow, you repeat yourself a lot. And I say, yes, because I am a forgetful person and so are we. It won't take too long before you walk out these doors. You're going, keep my eyes on Jesus, the orphan people. Hey, that's a nice, what is that? So we need to remind one another to behold the glory of the Lord. We are called to behold the glory. And I love this word, behold, because we become what we behold. We portray what we perceive. How do you know someone does CrossFit? I mean, I, I do a little bit of CrossFit. My, my younger brother is a vegan. And so I feel, I feel like I can talk about vegans. Because my wife is always like, I don't know if you should, because you don't know who's in the room. I'm like, it's cool. I'm related to a vegan, so I think I can. He's given me permission. Somewhat. But how do you know someone's a vegan? Oh, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. How do you know someone is a coffee snob? (laughs) They'll tell you. (laughs) We become what we behold. And that which we admire, that which we love, we will study it, we'll learn about it, we'll want to be wherever it is. We'll prioritize, we will sacrifice, we will give up what needs to be given up so that we might have it. And so my question 
to the church is what are we beholding? You see, so many of us, we're, we're looking at and studying and it's taking our attention as it should, hear me, as it should, because I know this is being recorded, and everything that's happening in our nation with state capture, what's going on? These people should be uh, prosecuted. And all of that is true. But, but here's my worry. Here's my concern. It leaves me going, I wonder if the Holy Spirit is looking at the church and going, hey guys, you've been comfort captured. You've been glitz and glamour captured. You've been me, myself, and I captured. And then he asked, what are you beholding? When will the church return to its prophetic nature? And I'm not talking about where we prophesy over one another's lives. I'm talking about ushering in the kingdom of God. Pushing back against the gates of hell. Allowing the light of God's kingdom to come in. But for that to happen in our world, it has to happen in here. We must experience the transforming work of the gospel. And in order to do that, we must behold the glory of the Lord. We become what we behold. We portray what we perceive. And as we look to Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith, we see more and more of him. Which reveals more and more of our sin and convicts us of that which so easily entangles us. It allows us to see more of him so that we might live a life that is pleasing to him that we might become like him. See, transformation is is God through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, molding and shaping us to become more and more like Jesus. And so when this happens, we'll begin to live like him, serve like him, give like him, sacrifice like him, be willing to suffer like him, forgive like him, look like him that we will put on display the beauty of the gospel that comes from a transforming work, a beholding the glory of the Lord, recognizing that he is changing me from one degree of glory to the next. Paul wraps all of this up by saying, this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you hear this, this should feel like a whole weight off our shoulders. It really should. I mean, when I read it, it's so encouraging to my heart because it's a whole weight off my shoulders. And this is part of the good news. And that is the unveiling of faces and the transforming from one degree of glory to the next is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily our job. Another way to say it is we don't possess the power to do all of this. We don't. This requires a supernatural Work. Our job is to love, serve, and pray. Our job is to position ourselves in such a way that we might receive from God. And it may look like this. In fact, I believe it looks like this. It's showing up, gathering together, gathering in the week, being a part of the discipleship process that happens here at Harbor City. It's positioning yourself. That's all you're doing. 
You're going, where, where is God present? Where is he at work? That is where I want to be. So that I might receive. Because that's all that we do. That's all that we do. We don't give anything to this. But we receive. And then when God takes a hold of your heart, incredible things will happen. Incredible things will happen when you allow him to do a work in you and through you. When you allow him to transform your lives. And so... Let me say it this way. Our job is to lean into the Holy Spirit, to posture our hearts in such a way that when the Holy Spirit says, let's go, Harvest City, we're ready. We're ready. Because we've been leaning in, we've been receiving, we've been transformed by the renewing work of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you by reminding you, that's all I'm simply doing by reminding you that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And if you're wondering that, all you have to do is look to the finished work of the cross. The tomb is empty. That even right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That he knows you by name. He knows your situation. He knows exactly what you're going through, what you're wrestling with. The thing that you feel like it's a recurring sin in your life. The thing that you, I will not be liberated from this thing. Jesus knows what that is. And I know that maybe even in this room, you've showed up this morning and you asked, how are you doing? Great. How's life? Fantastic. You've got the customary smile, the handshake, the hug. But in reality, what's happening in here is pain, shame, guilt, frustration. You're saying in your head, man, if they only knew who I was. I'm up here on stage, and I'm not picking on the band, but you guys were up on stage. You sing in, and it's incredible, and you're like, man, if they only knew what I did. What I did six months ago, what I did last month, what I did last night. And I want to encourage you this morning that, that Jesus knows that you don't have to pretend with him. And that he is willing and ready and able to meet you where you are, right here this very morning. Reminding you that he is doing a work in you and through you. That he has not left you on your own. He has not abandoned you. He has not taken a bathroom break. He is on his throne, fully in control. And he is transforming you from one degree to the next. And so he calls us back to behold. Whatever it is that you were looking at, whatever lies you were believing from the evil one about who you are or what this world is about, he's going, hey, fix your eyes on me. Behold the glory of the Lord. Come back to me. And for folks who are sitting here and you're going, man, I, I'm not 100% sure about this Jesus thing. I don't know where I land on all of this. Hear me say this. Whatever it is that you're pursuing, hoping to find life and meaning, It'll never satisfy you. It'll be like moving from one train to the next train to the next train to the next train and it will not take you to the destination that you want. Stop, get off, and get onto the gospel train. Because that destination, we're told where it ends. We're told what it's like. And as we head that way, he is transforming and molding and shaping changing us to become more and more like him.
that is how we change. And as a changed people, we go out there and we become agents of change. To the glory of the Father and for our ultimate joy. And so be encouraged, friends. We become what we behold. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, we we thank you that you continue to do what you do. I pray for every single person in here this morning. I pray for every heart in here that you would soften it, that you would reveal to them, to us, yourself. Remind us of the richness of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. That sin knocks at the door of our hearts. And so Lord, I ask that you would keep him at bay. The evil one, would you keep him at bay and would you allow us to experience the fullness of who you are? And so Lord, would you take over our hearts, not certain parts not certain rooms, but God, would you take over all our hearts? Transform us, renew us, restore us, reconcile us. Let us experience the grace that comes from you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.